Head over to our Twitter page at Dewing Grain to find out how you can be in with the chance of winning a Christmas hamper from Bakers and Lanas of Holt worth £500. The winner will be announced on our podcast on the 17th of December. Good luck! Hi and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Week commencing 10th of December 2018. Wheat markets have improved a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Nothing to write home about or to change your life, but the value X farm for January about 165. Um, Don't see the market going downwards particularly or upwards particularly. We're kind of stuck in a range. Farmers aren't really engaging and selling very much and the consumers do have some to buy for the new year. One or two of them have been been in the marketplace in the last day or two. So with consumption demand around, there is an increase in the value of wheat prices. Feed barley is kind of static. We are one good boat trade away from the market uh, going up a little bit, but that boat trade hasn't occurred. So at the moment, 164 X farm for January. And as I've said for several weeks, I don't see a big downside on barley. Uh, Equally at this point, I don't see a big upside on feed barley. Oilseed rape, much the same as last week. We're still of the opinion the market remains firm. And finally, malting barley. Yeah, there's, there is more. Uh, we, we understand there is rejections of barleys into molsters, not from us, I will add. And I think that possibly if you've got a good sample of malting barley, there will be plenty of people looking to replace tonnage that has failed to get past the gate. So, yeah, I think that's going to remain steady through the rest of this season. New crop prices are linked to futures prices on malting barley for lots of the contracts. And obviously, if the, if the futures price on wheat goes down, like we have been predicting, then possibly the forward contracts are vulnerable to a bit of a drop as well. But pretty healthy, you know, winter barleys in the 160s, spring barleys in the 170s with Laureate and, and the premium concerto, you know, depending on what futures do, heading up towards 180 for harvest. So good forward contract prices that need to be looked at. Uh, and, and that as a general statement for new crop, as we've said on our tweets and we've said on our text and we've said on our podcast, the market on new crop has crept up a pound in the time we've been telling you to sell it. Do you know what? One pound, two pound or even five pounds. The risk is not about the next two or three or five weeks. It is about a year from now. Will you have made the right decision on the bulk of your commodity? And I think the the unprecedented risk that you face is tariffs or a strong pound. And if the market is going to go up, it's going to come through a weather event that occurs, not through politics. And if that's the case, you can react to the weather event next year. If you sell lots of your tonnage now at what is a definite profit, it is the grown-up and sensible thing to do. In the spring, if the drought from hell occurs, you can trade around it. Like we've been talking about, we've been saying for years, trade like a trader. 
If the market's going up, buy back in your commodity and then trade it again later when the market has gone up. But let's be serious about how much money over the cost of production it is and what the prospects either politically, well, what are the prospects politically, they are going to probably undermine prices in our opinion. It is a risk that you face and you are happily, consciously ignoring that risk. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Ben Burgess Crop Storage Department offers a wide range of services from handling, processing and storage of harvested crops. From initial advice on any aspect of crop handling and storage through to the design, supply and installation of complete intake, drying, dressing and storage plants. The Ben Burgess Aftercare Support Team includes dedicated technicians who are also on hand to service all crop storage machinery too, so you're always looked after. Visit benburgess.co.uk or search Ben Burgess Crop Storage for more information on how the team can assist you. I've decided to send Claire down to do the interview. and She's off to the John Inns Centre, our local world-renowned agricultural science centre, to speak to the leaders in crop genetics. So over to Claire. OK, so today I'm here with Dr Branda Wolfe, um, a research scientist at the John Innes Centre. And we're going to talk about speed breeding today, aren't we? Um, I wondered if you could explain to me what speed breeding is. So we're... 400 scientists here in the John Innes Centre and we're in a virtual race against time to produce better crops that are more nutritious, uh, higher yielding and resist pest and disease. And growing plants takes time and if we can grow the the crops faster uh, in our experiments we can get results faster and produce those future crops faster. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Speed is of the essence, just like in many walks of life. Definitely. And so how, how are you going about achieving that? So we basically trick the plants into not sleeping or getting very little sleep. So we put them in a, a growth cabinet or an artificial environment such as a glass house and we shine extra light onto the plants. So when it gets dark outside, the plants, they still get lights in the growth cabinet. And we just give them two hours of sleep, that's all. Right. And then we improve the quality of the light. So um, we use light which is very rich in the red and the blue part of the spectrum, which is optimal for photosynthesis. So they produce more of their own food. Oh, very clever. How is speed breeding? Like, I realise it's very different from GM crops, but does it, is it helping us towards the same aim, as it were? Or can you explain that? Speed breeding is a completely neutral technology and you can use it to achieve lots of different things. Um, it could be to uh, make a GM crop, but it doesn't have to be. It's a bit like if we talk about the steel industry, um, if someone uses a, a bread knife to kill someone else, you wouldn't blame the steel industry. Uh, the steel industry is neutral. Right, I see. Okay. Um, and so do you get as good a crop with this kind of high intensity? Because you always think that, I mean, you said you mentioned sleep and we've always been told how important that is. Um, does it not impact on the strength of the plant? Or It's a good question. So... When I first proposed to my colleagues a couple of years ago that we should try to grow our plants under these very intense, uh, intense regimes, 
um, I got some very long looks and people were telling me, well, Brandon, you know, you might be able to cycle your plants fast under these conditions, but your plants will look pathetic, tiny, insignificant, puny. You'll get two or three seed if you're lucky, but you'll never be able to do a cross. And in fact, what we found was all the opposite. The plants, they looked brilliant. If anything, they were much better than in our normal uh, growth conditions in the glass wow. houses. So do you think that people are going to be building like huge glass houses for every crop? Like, <laughs> Well, that, that was then the challenge. We, we set up these conditions in a tiny growth chamber, half the size of the room we're sitting in now. Um, and when people saw the, the results that we obtained and, and these luscious, green, healthy, fast-growing plants, everyone in the John Inner Centre wanted to do it. So we realised we had to scale up. Um, and that's what we've just achieved. We've now got uh, conditions in our glass houses where we can achieve speed breeding. So we can go from seed to seed in eight weeks wow. before it would take the best part of five months to go from seed to seed in our glass houses. Wow. So explain to me how many, like, so within a year. It'd be six generations per year. Six generations. That would be per the year. theoretical maximum, yes. And have you achieved that yet, or? Uh, we. We haven't consecutively done that. Typically what happens is you grow a generation and then you get the seed and you might store it for a couple of weeks or so. Right. Um, but uh, it, it would be theoretically possible, yes. And effectively what we've achieved is we've kind of doubled the space that we have because we can grow the plants twice as fast. Right. So, of course, um, that has been a, a, a very welcome discovery. What are the main demands on crops like higher yields, more resilient to disease and pests? What do you think are the main requests you're going to be getting from British farmers? Most farmers are concerned about yield. Um, another thing that we should be concerned about is uh, the, the loss of efficiency of many of our pesticides. So uh, intensive cropping systems such as wheat in the UK is protected by chemicals. A lot of those chemicals uh, are not as effective as they were some years ago against the uh, the, the fungal uh, pathogens of wheat. And so um, in the future, I think it's going to be become even more important to breed for crops that are that, that have natural resistance against pathogens. Can you put this into a sort of historical context as to how much of a big deal your kind of discovery of speed breeding has been? Um, if we go back to the 40s and 50s, uh, there was a, a guy called Norman Borlaug who introduced a concept called shuttle breeding and he achieved two generations of wheat per year. And he, he did that in the same country by growing uh, the plants um, uh, during the, the, the winter in, in the lowlands in, in Mexico. Right. And then when it got too warm... He would uh, shift his operations uh, up into the mountains outside Mexico City, and then he could get a second generation of wheat. And this was absolutely transformative. Wow. Um, and because of those activities and other things that Norman Borlaug did, he got the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970. So I think this highlights the importance in p plant breeding of being able to get several generations per year. Yeah. Are you almost surprised that this hasn't happened before? Or? Um, I was indeed uh, surprised that this wasn't uh, an activity that was being undertaken by more crop researchers. 
But if you if you look at what's going on in many people's homes, uh, people who grow their own medicines, um, I think they know a lot about these tricks already. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so that's where the influence might have come from. Um, I think we can learn a lot from these kind of activities. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Can you explain how these findings will sort of directly impact our kind of farming listeners? I think it's very unlikely that we'll be going out to farms and putting up giant uh, lamps and shining lights onto <laughs> uh, the crops during the night or or perhaps, as the Russians suggested in the 90s, put a big mirror on the moon and, and shine light onto our fields at night. Wow. So um, it's not going to make the plants in the farm grow faster, but what it will allow us researchers to do is to more rapidly produce better varieties to face tomorrow's challenges. Right. Um, and you've been working with um, some Australians on this, I understand. How have you worked like collaboratively over such a distance? Uh, well, in, in fact, it works very well because when they've had their full day of work, we, we then contact each other, we Skype, um, and, and this is when I'm about to go to work. So we can achieve twice as much in a way oh you're just speed breeding and, and speed like and, and speed researching <laughs> speed yes. researching amazing um and um and so you they've done the same as you with the um glass house or they, they have we've worked very much hand in hand it's been an, a, an absolutely fantastic collaboration so i understand that you've got some new papers coming out how are they different from the paper that you've already put out so the paper we published back in january was speed breeding in in a growth chamber and what we've now achieved is to replicate these conditions in a whole glasshouse setting which means we can grow a lot more plants and and we can do it more cheaply another thing that we've done is we've built a little benchtop cabinet with some components that we got off the internet it's a tiny little cabinet it only cost seven or eight hundred pounds to build um, but what this allows us is to grow just a handful of plants to optimize the conditions for speed breeding for a particular crop or trait that you want to study. And then once you've found those conditions, you can then uh, replicate it on a much larger scale. Oh, fantastic. And I read the abstract of an article about wheat being abandoned by GM. Can you explain this to me? Well, actually, I, I was one of the authors of that article. Um, so we we looked at some of the other major crops that are being grown uh, and uh, many of those in some parts of the world are, are GM. But sadly, wheat isn't. And I think we're missing out on a, a lot of opportunities. So you're, you're concerned that like maize and rice and things like that have been grown, are, are having GM crops and they're being very effective. And is it that you're worried that, that wheat's being left behind? Or I think um, food security is a very important issue. And if we don't use all the tools in the toolbox, we uh, are fighting this challenge with one hand tied behind the back. And so obviously, I guess it's quite controversial is that that like some people are very against GM, um, but you have no concerns over it. I think GM is, is another technology which actually is neutral. And 
of course you can you can use it for good things and bad things but why would you use it for bad things i suppose is it the worry that um those drug drug companies take all the power as it were is that is that not that, a concern that that is a concern and unfortunately some of the very heavy regulation which we have uh, imposed on on gm technologies means that it's it's very expensive to deregulate a transgenic event and and then use it in a crop for human consumption and because of those extreme costs that are involved um, only a certain uh, small number of companies uh, the very big corporations can actually afford to do it so this uh, socio-political stalemate that we have on on gm and the restrictions that are imposed has pushed the technology into the companies that uh, some of the members of the public have a concern with. Right, okay, so it's actually made it worse in a way. It, it has, ironically, yes. Mm. You would, would you like to be able to do more GM research? or? I think there's some fantastic things that could be done if we had a little bit more freedom to operate. And what else do you want to say about GM crops? Like, is there anything you can explain more so that we understand them better? Um, well, in my case, I work on disease resistance and there's some wonderful diversity for disease resistance in some of the wild relatives of wheat um, but crossing a wild relative of wheat with wheat is is difficult it's a bit like crossing a racehorse with a donkey and it takes many 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 years to combine the best of both worlds so right. to get the high yields and bread making qualities of wheat with that resistance from the wild relative but if we could use gm we could go to the wild relatives identify that uh, gene which is conferring the resistance, take it out with the molecular tweezers, leave all that excess luggage behind from the wild relative and put the gene straight into the uh, high-yielding uh, elite wheat cultivar. And, and that would be a very clinical way, a very clean way of combining the best of both worlds. Um, well, thank you very much, Dr. Brandwell, for all your um, information today. It's been really interesting. I've learned a lot. <laughs> thank you. Head over to our Twitter page at Dewing Grain to find out how you can be in with the chance of winning a Christmas hamper from Bakers and Lanas of Holt worth £500. The winner will be announced on our podcast on the 17th of December. Good luck. And now it's time for Farm Chat. So uh, what beer have we got today, Andrew? Right, today we've got another Matt Perling special from Oakham Brewery. It's called Geoffrey Hudson Bitter. And apparently... Sir Geoffrey Hudson, also known as Lord Minimus, was an adventurer, courtier and dualist in the services of King Charles I. Born in Oakham, Rutland, where lots of short people live, he was only three foot six tall. But his modest strength was, was more than made up for in character, just like the beer we named after him. Light, golden colour, distinctively smooth, with citrus fruitiness and a refreshing hoppy finish. So 4.2%. Perfect. Let's give it a go. One of the best narratives on the back of a bottle I've uh, seen for a while. Absolutely. So let's give it a crack. What do you reckon? Yeah, enjoy that. Nice summary beer. It's um, very similar to the other Roken one we tried under its... Uh, yeah, I think it, that would be the um, the citrus fruitiness you're tasting there, Ian. 
Yeah. You've got a very good palate. This week, Andrew, um, thinking about ideas, what we can talk about, and trade sayings was something that came up. So when I say trade sayings, it's the old trade sayings that are reverberating around the trade amongst ourselves in general conversation. And you mean ones, that, ones where people come out with them and you think, what the hell is he talking about, silly old bugger? That one? Yeah, I've heard them over the years. So uh, okay, try. I try mean, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll chuck a few your way, and um, okay. I want to see what your thoughts are and tell us about them. So, I mean, the first one. This is this is a classic. Buy the rumor, sell the fact. Okay, um, that relates to when a piece of information comes out, like Russia's going to stop export, would be a good example. So the first time you hear it, everybody buys into the concept of it as the rumor. Herd mentality. Yeah, yeah, and bang, 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 everybody yeah. buys it, buy, 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 buy. And then by the time it gets declared to be official, the market's already gone up, it's already done it. So in other words, when it gets to the moment when they say, right, we're stopping exports, the market's already gone up because of it. And it's time to sell it. It's got some certainty and bang, it comes down. So <clears throat> yeah. yeah, and there's lots of rumours going around the trade. There's a big drought here, there's a big disaster there. That's the time to buy into it or sell into it if there's a bumper crop somewhere or whatever. By the time you actually get confirmation that the market has done all of the work and it's time to do it. So that is actually, most of the time, correct. Yeah, I, I like that. It's one of my favourites. Tops and bottoms are for fools. Ah, that's the one that mm. uh, most people suffer from. Uh, it's the £200 a tonne for wheat moment where... <laughs> the we're all guilty of this, are we're guilty. Well, we've got, we've got a, you know, should, should we, we, we were debating whether to have a, a, a Santa banter. I was just toying it with this idea and I thought, I oh, know, we'll crack, I'm going to do it now. So now we're going to be in trouble regardless. But the Santa banter would be, ah, wheat got to £200 a tonne for this year. And guess how many farmers sold wheat at £200 a tonne? <laughs> One, yeah, <laughs> very slim on the ground. And uh, the, you know, so they're going to ask Santa for Christmas. Could could you push the wheat price to two hundred pounds a ton, please? And and Santa would say, Oh, wasn't it there already this season? And the farmer goes, Yeah, yeah, but this time I'm going to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> Point being, the top is only the top once, and you can't pick it. There's no way you can pick it. If you keep waiting or aspiring to think it's going to go up or it's going to, or this is the bottom, I'm going to buy it in at this point as a mm. trader where you're short, it's impossible to pick that exact zenith moment because it's only probably five lots that trades on one millisecond yeah. in the middle of a day. Yeah, it does lead us on to another one. I mean, the other one is um, contract highs for buying and contract lows are for selling. Talk us through that one. Right, if the market on a closing point is at... The lowest point has been all the way through the season, uh, and the chart is obviously pointing down, which has got down to the lowest point. You look at the chart, you think, good grief, that looks cheap. The reality is it's down there for a reason, i.e. there is more supply than there should be, or there aren't many buyers. So the likelihood of that exact moment being the bottom, by definition, because the chart will continue for another six months, let's say, is probably it's going to go lower. Probability would suggest it's it's almost impossible to pick that bottom isn't it well yeah but it's it's an odds thing isn't it if mm. if you look at a chart and that is the bottom what would the chart look like in 60 days time will there be another moment when it's lower so the the theory that you know old munty was 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 favorite oh, with yeah. this one um he always added a bit of rudeness to lots of his his like you know his bottom picker one was 
uh, bottom pickers often get smelly fingers. Yeah, exactly. But the, what he meant was bottom pickers, people trying to pick the exact moment, you never get it never right. Get it. You will, I think one year in all years I've traded, I sold five lots of wheat for a farmer at the top of the market. In, this is about 1980-something. Mm. And it was, ironically, your dad who did the deal. And he was still fed up at the end of the season because he only sold 500 tons. <laughs> so he failed. <laughs> Oh, you just got him on a normal day, Andrew. He's uh, he's grumpy best part of the time. So <laughs> no, but it's, it re- re- represents that kind of um, oh, I've not very well, not done very well my selling. He actually yeah. hit the top price for the yeah. whole season, but it's you can't you can't do it. It's impossible. No, you can't. No, no chuck some more. Oh, this is a classic. It's one of my favourites. The trend is your friend. Well, yeah, back, it's the same same scenario. The market is going in a direction for a reason, and only when that trend is bucked, it's happened for something fundamental. So, whilst it's going generally in a sideways, downwards, or upwards direction, it will continue that until there is an event that, if you can get the information on quick enough, you can do you can make money from it. Mm. But if it's going up, it's going up for a reason. Therefore, follow it. I think it's it's, uh, it's a bit of a sidetrack from trade sayings, but the technical analysis subject is important because um, farmers should look at charts and look at trends and try and analyse it. I think it's a, it's a big subject and something it's for us a, to talk about. It's a help. Yeah, we, 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 we need to run an education day on trends because it's at the very least fun mm. and funny, but mm. it has gravity, doesn't it? Simple stuff. But um, So I, there's another uh, the classics from one of your, uh, your best mates, uh, Munty, and he classically came out a few years ago. He... Um, the market had three, four bullish days in a row, and his colleague, Trevor Stetzel, who hopefully might be listening, I don't know, he kept saying, oh, bull markets need feeding, bull markets need feeding. And then on the uh, the fourth day, the market absolutely crapped out. And Monty's response was, yeah, but this one's about to have a shit. <laughs> yeah, that's... We'll ignore the last bit. We'll go, bulls need feeding. If the market's going up, bulls mean bullish people. It needs information to keep it going up. So there's been two droughts and the market's gone up because of them. It needs some more bad news on production to make it keep going up. What about this one? Make malt from Glasgow tram tickets. Well, what that means is, you know, in a year where malting barley has had a terrible weather pattern, it's either really thin or been rained on and has, has germinated and is, is rubbish, and the malter, his pre-harvest uh, expectations were, we will only accept this quality. If there is nothing of that quality there, they have a job to do and a business to run and malt to supply. So making malt from Glasgow tram tickets was basically the malt will make malt out of anything in the end. So if it really is a terrible year, there is don't ever just write stuff off if it's a terrible year because they will turn around and they will somehow magically make malt from something that in other years they would refuse. This year is not that bad an example of that, isn't it, to an extent, slightly? Some parts of the country. I mean, you, yeah. we were good, weren't we? Let's yeah. face it, Norfolk had its you know, usual weather pattern and, and we came out of the goodies. Yeah. Yeah. I've got um, one more, so um, or a couple. Um, never follow a shipper. Um, that's more of an olden days one. Um, in in the days of shippers being the dominant people in the market, we had a bigger export surplus and a shipper would come in and do something and quite often it had nothing whatsoever to do with the UK S&D. They would have a, 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 an issue uh, internationally where they had, I don't know, they had to... to they were countering it against another trade as a hedge. Mm. So when someone did a big trade in the UK, it might be because they made a major sale to Saudi Arabia mm. or something okay. like that. And so it had no relevance to our market, yeah. but they did it and it made our market go up and, and it, it it would correct itself later. So, so, security. so if they yeah. did something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go in okay. that direction. Like that one. I mean, the last one, so this is 
before my time, Andrew. Buy Liverpool, sell Manchester. No, it's, this is still your time, Ian. Um, Manchester and Liverpool dinners, that, that's based on... Well, the, the two dinners still exist for yeah, the trade, do, as you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, I've got some good what time? What times of the year are they? Right, well, that's, so, that's the point. Liverpool is February and Manchester is March. So the, 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 the phrase was... By Liverpool, in other words, in February, quite often, if you look back historically, February's the bottom of the market. It was this year. I famously called the seat of the frustratingly. Eight months ahead to to be the the bottom of the market, and it was. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, I didn't get a bottle of wine paid to me for that bet, by the way, like I'm having to pay for the the crop size bet. Anyway, buy Liverpool, February, buy it. Um, pick something like May Futures or, or whatever you're, you're going to buy. And in March, when you get to the Manchester dinner, one month later, if you sell that same product, more often than not, you'll make a pound or two out of it. a profitable trade. Yeah. So, I mean, these things evolve. Most of them have an element of sense or reason behind them, and most of them actually do mean something. So they, if you follow them, you'll make money. I hope you're now as wise as I am. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewandgrain. The Dewandgrain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 